remember that there was a study done, and I actually think there was a book written about it, but it followed different actors who were working on different movie sets, and it discovered that there was a corollary between the mental and physical well-being of actors, there was a corollary between that and their role that they were playing. And they found that those who had a happy, outgoing, solicitous sort of role in a film, that their well-being would improve, that their immune system, their antibodies would go up. And those who had a sad, morose, defeatist sort of role, correspondingly, their health would decline. And it was remarkable because everybody knew they were acting. <laughs> In a sense, they were pretending. But nonetheless, there is a direct connection between the attitude and demeanor and bearing on life that we choose and the way we feel. And um, I was thinking of the power of a song that all it is is a positive confession. It's a confession of faith that says, I believe you, God. Amen. You're good and you're going to help me. Just saying that rearranges the molecules of your body. Amen. And it changes your immune system to be depleted, to be improved. <laughs> I'm not trying to get into the science of it here, but I think it's powerful Amen. how our health and our well-being correlates to our confession. Yes. Another unrelated study said that conventional wisdom says that we tend to conform our story to our reality and adapt our story to our reality. So our kind of life narrative tends to adapt to our reality. But this wide-ranging study said that that is not true. That instead, like the adage goes that life imitates art, well, in the same way, your life adapts and conforms to your story, not your story to your life. Follow that? Yes. That makes sense. So they said that the study showed that when people declare and confess repeatedly their story, their narrative, over time their life begins to mimic and mirror that story. Whether for good or for ill, we don't articulate what we are, we become what we confess. And when you think of that, you think of the power of music, and the power of prayer, and that it's more important that we pray prayers of faithful declaration than that we pray prayers of pitiful supplication. Mm -hmm. Both are important. We come as supplicants into the courtroom of God. We come broken and pitiful from time to time. I'm not denying that. But the book of Psalms, the largest book in the Bible, is not as replete with pitiful, uh, woe is me, as it is with, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. God is good to those 
who call on him, you know, he saves such as have a contrite spirit. That's got to be the theme, the narrative, the story of our life. And when we sing a song like, he is able, more than able, we are declaring to our own self, Amen. to the very molecules in our body, to principalities and powers, to the devil who's trying to pull us down. We are declaring to angels and God that we believe, that he is able. I believe, therefore I have spoken. And we are made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and because we don't love our lives unto death. Amen. I remembered uh, the beautiful story often told of, of the woman with the issue of blood who pressed through the crowd and received a miracle from Jesus. What we often miss and what I've liked to highlight over the years is that Jesus was giving a teaching when that happened. And the content of his teaching was, you don't have the right container for the powerful stuff I'm serving. You might have heard it as, old wineskins can't carry new wine. <laughs> Amen? Yes. He, said, he was basically saying, you don't have the right strong enough container for the powerful, potent stuff I'm dishing out this afternoon. Amen. He was telling them, you're trying to absorb and contain and receive this dynamic, powerful substance that God was giving into old religious frames that were going to be ruptured and both were going to be lost. That was what he was teaching. And I don't think that it is coincidental that when he's teaching about old wineskins and new wineskins, two miracles occur. Two miracles occur, and the Bible tells us they commence, and I quote, while he was yet speaking. So we have the ruler's daughter, the ruler of the synagogue, and the woman with the issue of blood. And it starts with the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus is ministering about wineskins, and the ruler of the synagogue, while he's speaking, he steps in, and he says, Lord, my daughter, I need help. I've got a situation. And I have to think that somehow his message about wineskins changed that ruler's perspective so that he changed the way he was going to intercede from some other scenario to stepping up right then and Amen. getting what he needed from God. Amen. So I have to think that the message, the teaching was making the ruler go, I think it's an old wineskin for me to sit here and hope to catch his eye after the meeting. I think a new wineskin is for me to step up with faith right now Amen. while he's speaking and get this from God. Amen. I have to think that because it says while he was yet speaking. So Mark wants us to know that the speaking had an immediate effect on the hearers. And so the ruler gets his attention and Jesus starts to go so now he was speaking in a stationary place, talking to the people. And then the guy gets his new wineskin, says, I'd like you to fill it with this. And he starts going toward the guy's house. And while he is going, we're told that the woman comes. And the most powerful line in the whole story is when she's asked why she did it. She explains her condition. But then she says, I kept saying to myself... If I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. 
And that's just the same as singing a song. He is able, more than able, to help me through what I'm struggling with today. She kept saying to herself, she kept building that faith and saying to herself, and if you think about the things that you say to yourself when you're in her situation, when you're about to do something embarrassing or risky or, I don't know, powerful, <laughs> there's a lot of voices that you can repeat that come to your head. <laughs> I imagine she heard voices that went like this. If you do that, you're going to make a complete fool out of yourself and nothing's going to happen because you've been trying for 12 years and it never changed. I imagine there were other voices, but what's powerful to me is she didn't repeat those voices. The voice she repeated was the voice of faith. Amen. She kept saying to herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be made whole. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And when you come close to the grace of God, the love of God, the power of God, and you have that inkling that God is going to help you, I think she's taught us something. You need to keep saying to yourself, I know what God spoke to me, and I'm going to get the victory. Mm -hmm. And you keep saying that until the clouds part, or Amen. the crowd parts, and you get your hand Amen. on the hem of his garment. There's got to be some kind of rehearsing. You know, he is able, more than able. God, you spoke to me. You're going to do it. And that's what the New Testament scripture means when it says, I am persuaded. I am convinced that he is able to keep that which I have committed to his care until that day. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And if we keep saying that to ourselves, if we keep confessing the truth of God, I don't mean just confessing some hope about being healed. I mean confessing what we know God spoke to us, that promise that he's going to help us. If we keep confessing that, pretty soon our life is going to start to mirror our narrative, our story our confession. And that's why there's so much power in it, whether for good or for evil. We're going to become what we confess, not the other way around. Amen. Can I give a big amen? I just, I didn't know where to put it, but I actually read, I read a study this week, um, and I'm not going to get into the science of it because I'm not sure that I totally comprehend it, but I knew what I felt. And it was basically comparing people's actual calendar age to what they called their biological age. You know what I mean? Almost like what is going on in your system. And basically that the idea was is that there's people that they age prematurely. Hmm. But it's because, and this they, they use multiple examples, but one of them was you're getting a little older and you, you forget something. The people that say, you know, well, everybody forgets sometimes. And they turn and they would focus positively you know, actually had much better health outcomes long-term than the people that would think to themselves, oh, no, oh, this probably means this, and you, you know what I mean? Or a cough means this, or, and it made me think of where, and I think there's the proverb that says, as a man thinks, mm -hmm. so he is, mm -hmm. you know? And I know that's not just the power of positive thinking, but it, it just, somehow, this study fits, I feel like, with Amen. what you're sharing. Amen. And, the Lord knows the prayers that I was praying. I was praying about a situation, not for my own life, but another situation. And I can tell you that I know the prayers that I was fighting to pray through this morning. To feel faith. To believe God's word. To not merely look at the circumstances. But to believe. 
And uh, I didn't stop until I prayed through to this place that we're talking about today. And uh, what I marked in my Bible was the place, because what came to me was when I started to hear the word of the Lord just come and give me some, some strength and some encouragement, I found that the prayer I was praying out loud was, how will this be? Amen. <laughs> and of course, I looked it up, and, and it's, it's Mary's response Amen. to the angel coming and speaking to her things that there is she could not possibly have understood. We understand it now, but you read it. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Or it's like that, that is not like the sun will come up tomorrow morning. You, you know what I mean? You know, I, I'm going to have a baby, and the Holy Spirit will overshadow me. This required exercising the kind of faith that we're talking about here today, that I feel God speaking to us. This says, how will this be? I am your maidservant. And what a contrast between that and Zacharias, who in the, in the New American Standard, he actually says, by what sign will I know that Elizabeth will have this child, yes. you know? yeah. and boy, the response from which, whichever archangel, I can't remember now, yeah. Michael or, you know, Gabriel yeah. was like, I stand I, in the presence of Yahweh yes. and you're going to be mute <laughs> That's as you think <laughs> your sign is you're not going to be able to say anything until this takes place. And I, I'll tell you when you're, when you're sharing today, I do, I feel this, this feeling and I feel it for multiple situations that the word that we're feeling God speak to us today. I feel this resounding cry coming up that says, how will this be? Amen. And latch a hold of that word, you, like Jesus. you're saying, press through those crowds, and I believe that we're going to see it come to pass. Amen. Amen. I want to just touch, I want to build on this a little bit, and y'all engage, and let's, let's, let's just unpack this a little bit. You know, I feel like I see that one of the great pivots of human existence and certainly human thought and society seems to be a question concerning the origins of the problem. You may not call the problem sin, you may call it sickness, you may call it disease and it may be that, um, but the origins of the problem, what are the origins, what is the, the starting point of my struggle, of my problem? And I think that human society pivots on the answer to that question. But without realizing it, we start to adopt a rather humanistic worldview into the church. And if you look at the philosophies that searched for meaning, whether Hegel or Kant or you name it, they're all sort of synthesized in the proposal of Karl Marx in a certain sense. He, he really, he's able to bring together the elements of society, polity, and economy and synthesize it into a mission that is going to change mankind's environment. You know, he said that human beings are craving freedom everywhere, but until you can determine your own destiny, you're not free. And what he's really saying is that our bondage is our lack of self-determination. And so Marxism is not something that is peripheral. It really is sown in all of modern culture. Non-Christian salvation in modernity is all about self-creation or at least self-determination. 
we sense that there is a problem. We sense that there is a great flaw in our makeup. Well, maybe we don't think it's in our makeup, in our, in our situation. And so transformation is the most universal craving of mankind. It starts when we're young. We want to transition from weak to strong and from young to older and, and from powerless to powerful, right? But transformation becomes synonymous with freedom. And Karl Marx, he built his entire dogma on the belief that men everywhere desire freedom and until they can choose and decide their own destiny, they're not free. But can we really choose and decide our own destiny? I'm not saying that we cannot play a part in choosing our ultimate destiny. We certainly can. But we don't know the plans God has for us. We don't know how our life is going to go. And there's not really any way to take the place of God in any meaningful sense. But all the false salvation models in the world suggest that the thing that you struggle against is outside you, and you will be free from it if you change your situation. Is not change the ethos of our times? Seriously, they say you can change your hair color. But why? I mean, this isn't just for a peripheral look change. This is because there's something in me that wants to change. And the world exploits that God-given desire for transformation and says, change your look, change your outfit, be a different you, right? Mm. So everything that is selling like crazy out there is transformation. But it's not an environmental transformation that will lead us to freedom. The Judeo-Christian story begins in Eden. Why is this significant? Because Eden was paradise. Eden was perfect. It was Kitov. It was so good, so good. And this shows us that the perfect environment with the perfect parent, with the perfect mate, does not preclude or resolve the problem of sin. This shows us that environment is not the problem, but our nature is the problem. You look at what the Lord said in Genesis 6 and 5. He says that he looked on man and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So he didn't see evil as the thorns and briars that they were tending and he didn't set about to improve their environment with the flood. <laughs> Do you understand? Yes. He saw that evil lived in the heart of man. Evil was a problem of nature, not a problem of nurture. It came from his heart. Now, I don't deny that environment is important. I don't deny that culture is critical as a supportive element, but not as the pivotal element Amen. in human transformation. Amen. You've got to come to repentance. Amen. Repentance says, I am the problem. The flaw lives in me. It's, it's endemic. It's systemic. It's rooted in my core self. That's where the problem resides. Amen. And so repentance resolves the problem, and then the environment either supports or hinders that repentance that began. You look at what Jesus said, and he said, in both Matthew and Mark, Matthew 15, Mark 7, he said, it's not what is outside of a man that pollutes him. 
It's what comes from out of a man that pollutes him. Amen. He said every evil comes out of a man. Yes. And he begins to describe the various evils. The psalmist says, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, I was a sinner. Paul, in Ephesians 2, he says, we were by nature children of wrath. You see, if you don't watch it, you will fritter away the best years of your life adopting one change after another, after another, after another, after another, except the one change that God invites you to make. And that is the change that takes the human will off of the throne that was made for God and says, I'm not a creator, God, you are. And you do all things well. Amen. That is repentance. And everything else is a fraud. It's a pretext. So people are changing the shape of their ears now. Yes. They're filing their teeth to change their teeth. They're, they're painting their skin with imprinted dye. You can superficialize this. And you can say, oh, it's just this or it's just that. I tell you as a Christian, it is misplaced craving for transformation that can Amen. only be realized through repentance. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And now they're changing their gender. Science is giving man the illusion that he is powerful enough to be his own creator and to come out as a man and say, I think I'd rather be a woman or I'll come out as a woman. I think I'm actually a man. This is all just the outworking of the promise that the serpent made in the garden when he said, you will be as God. This is the first chapters. What defined Yahweh to them at this point? Creation. That's all God's done. So when the serpent says, you will be as God, what he's really saying is you will be your own creator. And that is what the world is offering, and that is what technology and so-called science facilitates. They call it freedom, but it's really usurpation. It's really stealing the power and the rights and the choices that belong to God and claiming them as our own. And that's why they think they're going to live forever. It's not going to happen. I think about people I know, relatives, who I, I look at them and I feel this incredible sorrow because they're gifted. They have a gift to lead worship or they have a gift to communicate and they're frittering away their life. And you look at them and they're wearing this caricature image you say, where did they come up with that image? Well, they wanted transformation. So they grew their hair out as a man or, you know, grew some enormous beard or, you know, some have gone and adopted a new religion, uh, given up on Christianity and, and worship some new religion. What are they doing? They feel so disaffected with the culture they're raised in and the person they are that you're either going to die or pursue these superficial changes, these Amen. superficial transformations. But only God, only God through His grace can lead you to a place where He empowers this shift of centers Thank you, Jesus. and resolves the core issue. It doesn't mean that you don't ever struggle, but repentance reorders your life so that it is ordered aright, so that grace can work, can flow, so that you can really start to see then the ramifications that you sought. 
for so long. Thank you, Jesus. I guess I wanted to touch on that. You know, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And he says it is incurably sick. And one of the greatest sicknesses is these false cures, these false changes, these superficial changes that, that God is wanting to set us free from Thank you, Jesus. in the culture around us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So th this is just building on the idea that we can change inside and realize a change outside. Amen. But if we try to change the outside and think we're going to change the man, it's not going to happen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the greatest acts of charity oftentimes end in the most ironic tragedies. You look at, like, the civil rights legislation in 1964. and What a benchmark and how important it was in our society to give equal rights. But coupled with it was a whole lot of welfare and help that was going to identify the problem in a certain segment of society and, and turn it around. And for the next 30 years, from 64 to 94, they took that segment of society that was mistreated and disadvantaged and through helping them, plummeted them into worse statistics and reality than ever conceived of before the help arrived. You see, when man sets out to play God, he doesn't actually solve the problem. I remember being in Europe recently and, and driving by this government housing over there. And it's like, why was this housing built? It was built because everybody started feeling sorry for those who didn't have what others had. And so they built this housing. It's the cesspits of crime. And the, the free housing is destroyed. It's defaced. It's covered with graffiti. It's grimy. It's disgusting. Because you can take the man and drop him in Eden. But Eden's not going to change him. He's going to change Eden into hell. That's the story of what mankind has done with this beautiful earth. This is the great environment. But we didn't live next to the streams and mountains and beautiful wildlife and say, oh, there must be a God when nature itself testified of God's invisible attributes. We ignored it. And instead, we built our cities and our belching factories and we built our prisons and our concentration camps and we scarred and made earth into hell. We didn't get transformed by the beautiful environment. You think about what, what people talk about, environmental change and, and global warming and global climate change and environment, 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 environment. Environment is, is important, but it does not substitute for repentance. The problem is inside of you. It's not outside. And I just, I felt, God, help us to remember. Whenever we're going through something and we're looking for that cheap fix, you know, well, I'm going to get a new car because I want to feel different. I'm going to buy a new house because I want to feel different. I want to, okay, there are things you can do that really will improve your existence. I don't deny that. But until you resolve the narcissistic black hole of selfishness at the core of your being, you're just going to turn Eden into hell, even if you get close to living in it. We've got to see where it really all pivots. It pivots right here in the human soul. Amen. And if we can face that and let grace come into that place, then we're going to get somewhere. I was thinking of this scripture in Philippians 4. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in 
to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or empowers me. And I, I want to just say that when he says, I can do, let's keep it in context. What he's saying is, I can do faith, I can do love, I can do God's will despite my environment. That's what he's saying. I have learned the secret of not being environmentally determined, (laughs) but of transcending it and letting my life be determined by God. So I'll end with something a little bit funny. The world tells us that we can make ourselves, we can reinvent ourselves. And Henry Clapp once said about Horace Greeley, It is true that Horace is constantly saying that he is a self-made man. And a self-made man he is. A self-made man who worships his creator. (laughs) (laughs) But if we get that, that's that's really what's at stake. When we're trying to create our own path and our own life, we're trying to attribute to ourself that creator status that would legitimize the worship that we want to give to ourselves and that we want others to give to us. We want to be a success. Mm, a self-made man who worships his creator. <laughs> Amen. All I'm going to say is if you knew the prayers I was praying and the situations that I'm, I'm quite sure you're not aware of, I'm, I'm rejoicing today at how God, he's the God of the breakthrough. Amen. He brings his word at just the right time. I know that there are people listening now, and I'm telling you that the word that is coming today, if we can believe that word right now, I feel it even right now, Amen. that we can step out upon that word. Amen. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. That was David's prayer. He didn't look at his circumstances. He didn't even say that he'd sinned against this person or that person. He had come to a place where he knew that he was standing alone before God. He could say, against you and against you only have I sinned. Create in me a clean heart, God. And we know that's the same word as in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. It's the same word. He comes with his word. And when that word comes in, it contains the power to transform us on the inside. I feel the creative transforming power of God here Amen. through his word Amen. and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God Hallelujah. we've heard it brother Danny I think has sung that song draw me closer reach down from above lift me higher I'm desperate for your love past the fears that bind me here past regrets of wasted years draw me closer into your boundless love. I have this feeling right now as the word is going forth that we can step out on this word and be drawn into this presence in which everything can change in our lives. We have no idea the ramifications and the fruit of what God will do in our lives if we can say right now, yes, God, to your word. God, I'm I'm believing you right now. I'm putting my hands up in the air right now. I'm stepping out on this word right now, and I'm saying, how will this be? I do not care what lies ahead, but I am pressing through everything that would stand in the way because I'm going to grab a hold of the hem 
of his garment right now. And I believe that when I do it, that power is going to go forth, as Jesus said. Who touched me? How can you say who touched me? There's a crowd pressing all around you. No power just went out from me right now. Amen. That's the kind of power our faith can activate through this word. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord. We believe it in Jesus' name. Amen.